In addition to training sales professionals in workshops, online courses, keynote presentations, and students as adjunct professor at Brigham Young University, Idaho, Donald C. Kelly is the host of a popular sales podcast called The Sales Evangelist, with listeners in 155 countries and over 3.7 million all-time downloads. Now, in this episode, Donald walks us through his transition into consulting, and then we transition talking about diversity in sales, selling with insights, running effective outbound motions, and the social selling framework, Connect, Share, Engage. I like your book back there. Yeah, buddy, I had to plug it, of course. Absolutely. <laughs> we're, we're here to talk a little bit about that. Yeah. No, I mean, honestly, man, uh, the vulnerability, the, uh, the way you're able to connect selling mangoes on the streets of Jamaica to B2B sales is incredible. <laughs> you know, I'm not, I'm not playing. It's like Rick Ross Appreciate says, that. every day I'm hustling, man. It's one way or the other. Right? So, uh, every day, every day, every that's day. That's right. Day. Oh, I, uh, that was the pictures you paint in the book uh, definitely uh, bring me back to my youth in some regards. I didn't sell mangoes, but I remember starting my first business when I was like 12 just mowing lawns and washing cars for the people in the neighborhood. My dad had a push lawnmower, uh-huh. you know, the ones that didn't have a motor. And he kind of just <laughs> spun around and around and around, cut the grass. The, the things blade, that it, made muscles. Right. The thing is <laughs> exactly made a man out of you, as you might have said. Uh, but I mean, I'll never forget, he upgraded to a gas-powered, you know, a, a motorized lawnmower. And immediately I was like, hey, I want to go down to the neighborhood and try and see if I can make some coin doing lawns. And so he helped me put together uh, flyers in his office and print them out in his old school printer. And uh, <laughs> yeah. And, and so, you know, had a little, had a little hustle there uh, early in the days, but you know, you talk about selling on a necessity. And I think honestly, that's probably one of the things that hopefully we can talk about is how that level of urgency seems to evade us a lot of times once we've gotten through the interview process and we've gotten comfortable in the role and mm. it's, you know, we kind of start coasting a little bit. And I was talking to another guest about this and they were saying, look, salespeople know what to do. They just don't do it. And yes, it just, there's layers to this. I'm sure of it. We can talk about all kinds of, of issues, but I want to get to the deepest area of that possible because in life we're the same way. Like it's human condition, uh, Frank Suspitus was talking about this in our interview and he's going into that about, uh, you know, humans tend to take that path, uh, the path of, uh, of least, resistance, least resistance, right? And it's just human nature that way. So we got that tied into it as one layer. But, you know, when you got bills to pay and kids to feed and like you and a wife to take care of and these things, like, where's that urgency, man? Why aren't you fired up like where you were when you were looking for the job or when you were mm-hmm. interviewing for the job? Yeah, it's yeah, we can go into it. But uh, yeah, I, 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 it is definitely the, the, you got to have a you got to be in a state of uncomfortableness. And if you can put yourself in that, you may not necessarily be like that. You know, we have, like you said, we have food, we have shelter, we have um, the basics taken care of, we have a secure job, so to speak. But how can you make yourself unsecure? Um, And that's by making yourself uncomfortable, whether that's now, I want to get a higher number. Um, or I want to, one of my friends said they wanted to pay for somebody's adoption. I was like, well, that's 10 K. So it's like, all right, now they, that prompt that pushed him to get outside of his comfort zone to go to somewhere higher. He's making whatever, say he's making, you know, buck 20 a year. Now it's like, okay, well I need to make a buck 30 so I can pay for this adoption or whatnot. But anyway, you just got to engagement ring by the house. I mean, sometimes it's not a, it's not a, I'm going to lose or i'm going to be living under a bridge it's sometimes just how do i advance and i mm-hmm. feel like sometimes uh just like purchasing decisions i think the stat was 70 percent of purchasing decisions are made out of fear uh chris uh voss i think his name yeah. is uh he was he was quoted that and um i feel like that's the same thing out of like, the, our success as individuals and as you know a lot of times it's out of fear and if we don't mm-hmm. have that fear factor if it's more of like progression it doesn't have the same uh compelling momentum i don't think it seems at least it seems like with like some folks getting married you know starting a family these things buying a new car buying a house these life changes that we want to aspire to mm-hmm. uh are great motivators i'm just saying that maybe losing those things might be yeah. a bigger motivator mm-hmm. fair oh yeah for sure 
Well, let's talk about family a little bit. I know uh, I was doing my homework. You've been married just over nine years, uh, September uh, 22nd. Yeah. So it was is your Man. anniversary, I believe. And yep. uh, yeah, I do. My, I try to do my homework. September so, 27th. <laughs> yeah, your, uh, your son is how old now? He is uh, three and a half. He'll be, so February three and a half. He'll be four in, uh, in August. August. Okay, cool. That's right. We yeah. about it. I think he's a Leo, right? He's a Leo. He's yeah. a Leo. <laughs> and then you started your business. Um, when did you make that transition? About what year did you make the transition from full-time seller manager to running your business? Independence Day was um, July uh, 1, August 1, officially um 2015 um started a side hustle um in 2013 2012 2012 started a podcast just to sh- kind of share stuff and then right. i had my first person reach out probably like that january because it was december when it launched and then wow. it was jose diaz first client um ask could you help me with some sales and um like sure so it's like i get off work at this time let's connect uh, once a week so we started working every wednesday helping him and his wife with their small business helping with some sales and guiding them um and because he just saw the podcast post and then somebody else actually i didn't know um uh, katie henderson one of the ogs in destiny katie was in alabama destiny was in fort lauderdale they found the podcast and started asking about coaching next two coaching clients came in. So I was like, there's something to this thing. There's something there. And then speaking opportunities started to trickle in little by little free stuff and then eventually got paid stuff. And so moonlighting like this and then getting mentioned in some magazines by 2014, it was like there's some little income coming in. Um, 2015, and I would study and listen a lot to books and podcasts. And there's this guy, um, he's a... a software entrepreneur startup uh, founder multiple times and he said he and his wife had this discussion where she said um essentially if you can make x amount of dollars per month um for three months in a row then you can leave your full-time gig so share that with christina and then we adopted it um, so it's like, all right, we need to get to a point where and this time we were living in a one bedroom one bath she's like you could take care of rent every month with your side hustle, not with your full-time gig, mm-hmm. with your side hustle consistently, then there's something valuable there where it's not just like a sporadic thing. So we did that. I mean, we had savings, you know, you were in sales, so you're making decent money. Cars, no debt, um, cars paid paid off. Um, so we're paying some student loans. And it was just like the perfect situation. We didn't have a, uh, our little guy yet. And it was like, all right, 2015. Um, and I was working on this deal and I was still reluctant, though. Go back to what you're saying, being uncomfortable. Um, I was reluctant because I'm like, yeah, do we really want to jump? Let's see how long we can keep going. But I was working on this deal. It's about a buck fifty, um, and then I was going to get ten my ten percent off of it. City, county governments takes a minute to get those people to move and to change. Our average deal size probably was like thirty to fifty k. So this was a you know bigger size. Double size, nice. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, it's taking a minute. So then our CEO he came in a part of the deal to help with the last mile, and then he totally changed the deal up at the very end. The school district was giving us the money. They're like, all right, we got our budget. Here's the 150k, and he's like, "Let's do it over. Um, let's let's do it where you can pay over years, so you can." He's trying to move to a, 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 a help the company to be a recurring revenue model. Yeah, mm-hmm. because he wanted to get the. He was trying to sell the organization. Um, anyways, so I was like, "Hold on, it's gonna take me five years to recruit ten to recruit that ten, maybe eleven k," and I was like, "That's no way. That's stupid." So I got really ticked off and it pushed me over the edge even more so at that point. And I was like, imagine if I had done this by myself. Could I do this by myself? Could I sell all my own product and service? So made a leap. I One of my friends had a, a company. I said, all right, can I do some commission sales for you guys while I'm making some money with the podcast on the side and then you know develop my stuff? So they said, yeah. So I jumped ship in 2015. Um, didn't really do too much work with them. I just went hall in TSE and my first client first speaking gig was out there in um, california it was a referral um first major speaking gig they paid me my wife and i was talking to them i told christina i was like man because it's hard to sell yourself versus selling a product and service so i was right, selling right. myself and i told christina and she was like 
you need to charge him like 10K. And I was like, ah, I can't do that. I was like, I charged him 8,500. It was three one-hour speaking gigs um, at the different, at different several universities um, that they, um, several campuses. Um, and I was like, all right, I can do that um, anyways. But I said 8,500, they didn't bite an eye. And they're like, cool, 8,500. And I was like, Damn, you wish you would have said 10 now. <laughs> <laughs> but then it, it taught me something though, Derek. Yep. Like that day I was like, hold on. I spent a year and a half battling for 10K and I just made this in like a matter of like, I don't know, like a week. Call to three hours, yeah, or whatever those yeah. sessions were. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what? So um, that's when it was like, screw this. Um, so I sat down with my boss. I have an audio somewhere. I have to find it on my, probably one of my old phones, but I recorded myself um, in my office. And I was like, people are saying, you know, to, you're young, you're trying to do this as a sale, you know, you're, are you going to coach people? You know, you know, how much experience do you have? And I was like, well, I've had enough experience to, from, from high school, from high school really. And then from college and then from the years that I was doing it in, in the, um, for the, the companies that I've worked for at that time. So I was like a good seven, eight years underneath my belt. I'll just do this as a side thing. Um, that was just like formal selling, not like the stuff from before, from the book or anything like that. Right, um, right, right, right. So I was like, all right, I'll do it. Um, and the people that I was helping, they were making money. And they were being successful. So I was like, screw that. So um, I took pudding. a chance on myself. So I bet it on myself and uh, haven't looked back since. And now we have teams and now we have a second part of our company, TSC Studios, where we produce podcasts for other brands. And we're going to break that off into its own entity. And we have the sales evangelists. I have two textbooks. I have a sales, the seller like a mango. I have a sales planner. Um, and um, we work with people all across the globe. So now it's like, yeah, it's, sometimes you got to take a risk on yourself. So. Man, I love that story. Major inspiration right there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, you know, you make it sound simple, particularly the family <laughs> dynamic. I got to give it to you. And yeah. uh, I know you're, you have a strong faith and belief system that you lean into, yeah. uh, respect that highly. But talk about the stressors in the family a little bit. I have three mm-hmm. daughters. They're grown now. But when I started doing my own thing, it wasn't easy. And no I wasn't the best at juggling things. Um, and, you know, we we still talk about this day. And they kind of make fun of how dad was always in the lab. You know, I was kicked <laughs> up in my, you know, <laughs> office, a.k.a. my bedroom where I had my desk, you know, in the corner trying to figure out how I was going to make this three-link thing pop. But yeah. Um, you know, it, it, it put some considerable stressors on, on my family. And I know uh, it was, it was tough, but if you were to be a little vulnerable here with us mm-hmm. and genuine, like you didn't have a little man yet, but I'm sure that was something that was in the horizon you were planning and aspiring to, and you wanted to start a family. So, yeah. you know, jumping off and doing your own thing and betting on yourself and facing those headwinds, that's scary stuff. And, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you, I know you've been married for a little bit at the time, but talk about the stressors in the, in the family dynamic and how did you overcome that? Yeah. I mean, there was, so even though the, we, they had the, the plan to, you know, we're consistently bringing money in and, but you still would find those times where it was lean because here's what happened when you're an entrepreneur and you're starting a business and you're editing and you're doing all of the stuff yourself. Um, Fortunately, I, I pushed off some of the podcast stuff, um, so I didn't have to do that. But the point, though, was I found myself, especially when I was doing consulting gigs with clients, you're, it was a feast or famine. You would do a lot of outreach and prospecting, speaking at events, getting leads, getting ops, um, and stuff coming through the podcast, and then ease off the prospecting gas, and your pipeline become meager, and then you're fulfilling and then all of a sudden, it's like, holy moly. And those times where it became meager, it was like, that's where the stress came in. Christina was working, but it was still kind of like, you know, hey, come on, man. Right. They're looking too pretty. Um, I mean, you don't have medical benefits through this way. You're paying your own taxes, yeah. right? Like you said, you're servicing clients and that takes its own, you, oh. know, you know, right? That's so weekends, evenings, early mornings. I imagine early mornings, were, it was oh, there's. Okay. I, I'm an early bird person. So okay. early mornings were, were like gone. Um, so that's when I, I took the time. And then your the days would run longer too um, at times as well. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, Christina, Christina comes home and then it was like, she, you know, we wanted to, she want to shut off so we can have dinner and, and so forth. And then sometimes you want to pick stuff up later on after, you know, after that. Um, and then the weekends, it was like, all right, we got to give, uh, you know, 
we, we still got to, we got to spend time together. We got to do stuff with our fam. Um, so, you know, where are you going to work? Cause it's very easy to just get locked into that computer and right. keep going. And there were some times where it was like, you know, got frustrated. The hardest thing that um, the most, the biggest wake up call and the, um, the, that was probably the hardest statement Christine ever told me. She said, you're here, but you're not here. And then I was like, Oh, it's so hard not to make it about you and, yeah. you know, like want to talk about all these things moving yeah. around in your head, but Man. yeah. yeah. And it present. was just like some, even if I didn't have my phone, like if the phone was down, it was still like, and then the other crazy part, when Caleb came along, came along, um, there were some pictures that, cause you know, it's the generation where everybody, everybody else have taken pictures. And I was looking at a bunch of the pictures and it was like, probably like 10 pictures in a row. Um, and probably about maybe 60, 70% of those pictures, Derek, when I looked at the, what Christina was posting, I, I, the picture she had, this was me on a lot of the pictures, oh, like doing oh, answered deep. emails and going. And then I was like, for those that, that are on audio good. only, he's looking yeah. down at his phone. You, we, we know the motion, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's like, like, you know, you're, you, it's again. And now, so that statement was you're here, but you're not here. Your phone is down, but you're a zombie, you're in zombie mode. Cause I'm like thinking about the next thing, thinking about the vision, thinking about how I want to do this next email, thinking about the, this client. Um, and then the stress too, she would know when it was like getting stressful when I would, you know, maybe some, you know, someone send an email like, Hey, this didn't work out or somebody had an issue, a client had issues. And I would want to jump in and, and take care of that. And it was like, okay, I know you're upset. Um, so go take a break or, or something like that. And I was like, and I was like, no, I'm fine. And then she's like, I know you, you're upset. And that starts a, you know, the tension. So you had those times where it was like, you know, you had those situations and I had to come to grips and come to learn. And those were some humble moments and take a pill up to take a humble pie, like to say, right. is it worth it? And I had a couple of, and, and here's, you, you really want to get vulnerable now. So um, my best friend's dad, um, he passed away, I want to say two and a half, maybe three years ago. Um, and he was, um, he had several, he had a couple, several strokes. Um, he ran and grew a, a business, uh, to a, you know, million dollar, several million, whatever now, uh, business and employees, uh, like, I don't know, they're, they've grown like 80 people and they're in a medical field. And he grew this thing from like the ground up, like starting in the nineties, working late. I mean, I thought we think we work, but dude was doing mobile x-ray. So you go into these facilities and you have these x-ray machines and you're it's 24 hours when a facility need x-ray. So you're getting up, you're going on two hours of sleep. So, and his family has heart problems. So long story short, he eventually, you know, you wear and tear and eventually the company grew and so forth. But that, that that health side was came as an impact um when it came to like the he had a stroke and um then he had uh he had cancer and he passed away oh, wow wow um and yeah and he was like a second dad he gave me think and grow rich and wrote his his testimony about how it, that shaped his future and how it helped his business so that's my first business books um that i got in high school from him um uh, end of high school and then um i took a so he was like that second dad. And I lived with him for a while in high school. If you, in the book, if you sell like a mango, we talk about when I, that's the family. So it's like my second family. Right. So when he passed away and I was like, oh man. And then I remember just like getting stressed and I was like, I don't want to have that happen to me. And Christina would think about that. Like, you know, what caused a lot of it is like your deep stress. Like, do you want to stress yourself to the point where that happens? Why don't you go back and get a full-time gig? Um, if that's the case. And she would say that to kind of get me reset. And then I was like, uh, you know, and it was scary and was sad, like to say, you know, I don't want that to happen to you. I don't want you to get so stressed. I don't want you to have health issues. I want you to be able to have a good like, you know, to live and to be here with our family right. um, and to be present. So all those things help me to realize things has to change. You got to have like the, the the pieces and emotions. And we went back and especially when Caleb came along, I was a nighttime person for that. So she was in the daytime, obviously with him and we retired her so that she can be home. And um, that was one of our big things. So that she wanted to be at home with Caleb and, you know, at that, that point, now he's going to start school. So now it's fair game. She wants to go back out. <laughs> um, but um, the, uh, the, but during that time period though, it was, um, it was the, it was like, we need to put processes in place. We need to have 
uh, things that's going to work. So even with my team, we have to say, okay, um, they're like, Donald, you sell. Um, that's your thing. You're in front. You're doing these podcasts. You're doing those things. Um, we need to take more off. So we started developing that. And my executive assistant became took a diff- deeper role where she was like becoming even more effective and helping me to make sure I'm doing the things that I needed to do. The other team members, we delegated uh, because it's so hard to let go of stuff when you're the business owner. Right. Um, and we, you know, our sales. And you're team, so used to doing everything yourself. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure it sounds like you delegated your a lot early, but yeah, it's your way. And there's, there's a big trust factor there. Yeah, so the marketing and we started, so those things came in. But then the the the, the times at home, we that was the huge component where I was like, we need to, when I needed to get home a certain time and needed to shut off a certain time so that I can be there for my family. And then in the mornings, I needed to, you know, I can get up as early as I want and go work as early as I want. As long as by 637, when little man's getting up, I need to be there and I take care of him until I leave to go physically to the office. Um, and then, um, you know, Christina would jump in and, and take over that point. So by doing that and just making sure that I took on my part and make sure that I was a dad first, uh, well, a husband first and a dad, and then an entrepreneur, if I, when I put in that order, um, it made a world of difference. Yeah. That's an important lesson for those that are looking to make that transition. Cause it's, you know, the support system plays a big part of it and you don't want to overburden the support mm-hmm. system. And at the same time, you don't want to neglect and not be present. Uh, it's, it's a tough balance to strike and it takes, you know, uh, you know, everybody be on the same page, great communication, some compromise and realizing yeah. for me, uh, that it, it was going to be perfect in the beginning. Right. And mm-hmm. I was going to have to make whatever adjustments were necessary, similar start in terms of moonlighting and whatnot. Um, but it, it was, it, it can be difficult, but it sounds like when you have that sort of right frame of reference in your, you know, your approach to life, you mentioned family first. Um, I think that's where, where it stems from. One thing I always try to tell folks who are starting out down this path, whether it's consulting or any other business where they're following yeah. their passion, it could be real estate or fitness or whatever your thing is, is, you know, it's your thing. It's not theirs all the time. And we can't, we can't yeah. try and put that on them. You know, my wife has her own career. And my kids have their own focus and desires. And you, know, you kind of want to have everybody pulled into this vacuum that you're creating with your ideas <laughs> and this energy and obsession that you have. And you, controlling that's tough, man. Even if you're in a sales career and you're maybe moving from sales frontline seller, individual contributor to a management role. And you're really excited about that. And now you're willing to, you know, kind of do whatever it takes. Um, in one of the books I was reading by Hilm Sore, uh, the uh, top five for top five secrets of a sales coach. He, mm-hmm. in the beginning of the book, he has his character Arlo that's uh, making that transition. And what I love about it is you can totally relate because it really goes through the lens of the sacrifices that they make, right? You get obsessed, mm. you get really focused on things and you want it all to work out and then it doesn't work out. And it's, it's a tough go a lot of times. And whether it's changing careers, following your uh, your passion, starting a business, whatever your thing is, uh, it's somehow we have to internalize it ourselves and manage that effectively because yeah, it'll drive you nuts. Otherwise, if, uh, of course, but and the voices around you, quite frankly, <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for being open with yeah, me. And I appreciate for that. Sure, man. I think, you know, yeah. you know, we, we do call this a sales consultant podcast and, you know, you've been doing a lot of advisory work and coaching and so forth and starting, you know, even multiple businesses now. Uh, I think it's important that those that have similar aspirations are listening and uh, get to listen about your journey. So let, let's transition a little bit. Uh, talk about the book. Sure. I have it here behind me selling like a mango. Again, yeah. go grab it if you haven't. Um, one of the lessons that you shared, I believe in your podcast uh, ties into the book and it's around the dream 100. Uh, mm. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go grab the book. Um, <laughs> but selling with insights, I think is the topic that I want to con- jump into now. And that you had mentioned how being effective in your outreach and building pipe uh, it, it, lessons from 2022, taken in 2023 have are all around selling with insights and being smart mm. about your targeting and, and these sorts of things. You even list out questions that we should be asking our business ourselves as we shape that ideal customer profile and then get, learn everything that we can about them. So talk to me about this lesson and why it was so important to you and you know, why are companies getting it wrong and what should they do to get it right? 
Yeah, I, mean, I think it's for it's one of those things that's forever being uh, molded in the right way. I did a, I read uh, the Ultimate um, Seller Machine by Chet Holmes, late Chet Holmes, um, and I, when I first got into you know B two B sales, and it was like I listened to it. Let me, I had the book and the audio, but I was listening to that driving across the state of Florida doing um, you know uh, for my sales job. And I learned so much from it, Derek. But then um, the the Dream 100 concept is that you really focus on a small group of, of, of customers, of prospect. And now for our team, we even break it down. So it's really like comes down to like the Dream 75 because it's mm. three of us. Um, so we have 25 accounts that we focus on for each month and a half, so to speak. And we're going deep into those accounts, multi-threading and trying to... Um, the you know connect with the different people in the omni-channel approach but even now so beyond that just like beyond having folks based on the icp um people who are ideal customer profile who who uh fit at certain demographics and and so forth we're going trying we're trying to go deeper on insight okay and what i mean by this is like applying the triggers so triggers are there. Um, so you might probably listen ICP triggers and then insights. So ICP VPs of sales at uh, maybe a SMB or a mid market company um, is would be good. Like that's where most people stop. Like say they are, you know they have a certain right. revenue range, they have a certain number of employees, and so forth. The triggers then could say, well, what we've seen to be best are new VPs of sales. So maybe a VP of sales at these uh, new company uh, at this certain industry, certain size, and so so forth. And those are some of the triggers. We also like to see we use Navigator to see if somebody's been active on LinkedIn for the past thirty days. That's really cool for us too, because now if they're active on LinkedIn, there's a high probability to respond there as well as through email. So we have a couple of those triggers. And then now the insights could be such something to the nature of uh, maybe the the company is growing with headcount. Um, they're hiring um, new folks, uh, you know, new sales uh, team members. Or perhaps another insight could be that they um, just receive some uh, level of funding or or whatnot. Um, mm -hmm. Or perhaps they are uh, you know read some of their 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 10k or did some basic research on that and saw that they're. Um, looking to expand over the next year or so. So we have some insights that we could go into those conversations with that with the triggers of those companies, the new sales leaders, and they fit our ICP. By doing that, now it makes our list more rich. And then as we're reaching out to those individuals now, like those maybe the three main people, Right. VP of sales director and maybe somebody over that handles enablement of some sort of as a mid-market uh, company, then now we we have um, different things that we're going to tie to each of those individuals within that organization. Um, and it makes such a world of difference because, again, the insights that we have. And then if you're using intent-based data, if maybe now you add on to that, that they're searching for things around um, sales education or pipeline building. So that makes it so much more focus. And then now our, our team, as they're doing these outreaches, have a much higher propensity of getting in contact with someone and having a meaningful, what we call meaningful conversation. The BDRs, uh, KPIs, we look at are meaningful outreach, meaningful conversations, and appointment set, um, just to keep it really skinny on the the, KPIs. The KPIs. Mm -hmm. um, but those three helps us to, to ensure, I mean, by doing this type of insight-led, uh, you know, like top of funnel, um, list or Dream 100, it then makes it very, very effective for us to have better success and increases their productivity and excitement when they're having conversation and setting appointments. So the you mentioned the order of operation in mm -hmm. sort of prioritizing the insights, you know, firmographics, um, and then the other layers that you, you had mentioned getting. And so- Some triggers. Yeah, the triggers and insights, these things shave you down uh, to a smaller number of accounts, right? And so I think that's mm -hmm. one important lesson is it's not about more, it's actually about less is better, right? Yeah. And getting really, really finite about who can inhale your product now, right? Yeah. It's the propensity analysis that you're you're, you're going through. You might start off with a, a TAM of 3000 SMBs, mid-market companies that you think you want to go after based on firmographics, but when you layer in the insights and the triggers that we've talked about, then you get really down to maybe a hundred companies that you really want to you know throw all your eggs in the basket on. Um, yeah. How do you operationalize this right now? You mentioned Sales Navigator, um, job changes, insights. 
I know Zoom Info dominates the market when it comes to a lot of the data that's feeling our, our go-to-market motions, but any other uh, tools that you're using and any other strategies around operationalizing the insights? Yeah, we use uh we 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 chose to use Apollo.io. Okay. Um, so we have Apollo integrated to our sales, uh, sale, our LinkedIn, and our um and Navigator. So we we're able to get that. You know, the we're big believers in direct dial. Um, I was a uh, mm. I, I was skeptical about it being a '90s kid, right? You know, it's like <laughs> you don't mess with people's cell phone, man. <laughs> Early two thousand, you don't don't waste my minutes, man. How you get? <laughs> no, you didn't. <laughs> But um, you come to realize that it's 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 way appropriate now. People don't mind that, and oftentimes they may have a, a direct dial that may be a company phone or or whatnot, cell phone, or they just they they recognize that it's it's the time we live in. Cell phone is the the number that we use. So we we use that um, through Apollo. We have our sequences go through Apollo um, as well. So just to be clear, you're getting uh, you're surfacing contact level information out of Apollo's instance. Right. Mm -hmm. So you're identifying individuals and people insights of account and, and personalization points through sales navigator. But when it comes to getting that phone number, getting that email address yeah. that served up to in, into your database, you're leveraging Apollo.io for that. And then yeah. because their system has both sides worked out where there's the engagement platform module, if you will, you're just moving people right into those Apollo.io sequences as well exactly. and doing, doing your outreach from there. So pretty exactly. seamless in terms of workflow, it sounds like. Yeah, very, very, very seamless. Uh, makes it easy for our team to then be able to utilize it. Um, and that 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 motion just kind of again simplified. We don't we didn't want to overload right. the uh, you know the sales tech stack. I mean, there's other stuff that we take advantage of too. And our phone feature, we don't use Apollo's phone feature. We use Just Call um, for that. So we have the ability to send them the text messages right away and uh, um, and email. So we we um, we use that um, in that motion. Um, Where does and, text come in for you? Are you doing text in your outreach when it's still cold? Or are you using text after you've had a conversation or when they're further down the funnel? Like well, I think where most people are comfortable using text, but you mentioned direct dial. You mentioned the, you know, it's just the way we we do business these days. How we communicate as, as people is through text. So are you moving text as a, as a use case higher in your, in your funnel, if you will? So earlier top of funnel, you're dropping a text to someone it's maybe not you heard you know you've never spoke to yeah um we do it as uh, one of our bdrs he experimented and he saw good results and that's one way we do it before you know you experiment then we run with it but the way that we're doing it is more of the advertisements um okay. so then have it as another touch point um so my text say the you know the email was you know tailored to you again you're you know in and whatnot um you got the first email, maybe you opened it. We're doing that for a you know, phone call, doing outreach. I will say in that voice message, something to the nature of, Hey, Derek, it's Donald. We connected on LinkedIn um, a couple of weeks ago. Um, I dropped an email about um, the LinkedIn prospecting course. Um, I'm going to send you a quick text. If it's easier to respond there, um, feel free to reply there or, or whatnot. So then now it continues to the story where now you're looking for that text, mm -hmm. you know that I sent the email as well. And then now when I, in a text message, hey, Derek, it's Donald. Um, again, feel free to reply here if it's easier, if it's something you're open to or not. Um, and then I can get a yes or no. That's all I want on my first outreach. Um, and if I get a yes, yeah, or get a no, not right now, at least I know I can then park that. Right, right, We're right. multi-threading. So maybe there's a, the motion is still going for maybe the uh, the CRO and also for maybe somebody over enablement, right? So that way we're- That person you've ceased to outreach on because they're said, you know, no go for whatever reason. And yeah. so you keep on down the path with other folks that are in that organization that you haven't heard from potentially. Yeah, at least to generate the interest. Yeah. Um, and maybe that, that can re, uh, reignite something later on. But if, you know, you have the top cheese, CRO says, you know, it's not in our motion, not we're doing, not, nothing we're doing right now you want to make sure that you don't try to step on people's foot at that point. Yeah, going something. to his direct reports and then still yeah. trying to push it up, which it's just going to end up in his lap anyways. Exactly. So <laughs> at that point, we, we go, we, we move on to the next one. So now mm -hmm. we got 25, we put drop it down to put 24, uh, put the next one in there. And then at that point, we we leverage something in our business too. So everyone still knows secrets now. A lot of people do this too, but this is how you make sure your podcast generate money as well as then I would, 
uh, we train our BDRs to say um, like, hey, Derek, uh, appreciate it. No, that's not a good fit right now. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with podcasts. Um, our CEO, Donald, runs a popular sales podcast, always looking for amazing guests. Um, would you ever consider being a guest on a podcast? Now I have a 30-minute interview, 30-minute disco with them, but not a really a disco. I get to have a conversation with them. And but you get some FaceTime. Yeah. And that's the that's the struggle that we we, yes. we we have to overcome is how can I get in yeah. front of this person and uh, get that dialogue started in some capacity or another. Yes. Yeah. Uh, tremendous. I mean, yeah, yeah you, you, not it, everybody has a podcast that they that yeah. that where their podcast is tied to <laughs> their, uh, their business. Yeah. So that, that's but to your point, it's continued value. It's another yeah. way to keep the conversation going. And it's not, you, you can't bring everybody, but you know, if, if there's a good fit, you know, we recognize that they could, I do a pre-interview with them. If they can't really bring value, I'm not going to just bring them on because that hurts the show, but they got to be somebody of value, at least have the conversation and at least brings the, builds the relationship. And then six months down the line or whatnot, I'd say, Hey, Donald, we're doing a sales kickoff. Um, you know, you know, we had talked touch base before. Um, let's touch, let's connect. Sure, and that opens the door for other ops. So, love it. And you say you so you started in 2012 with the podcast, and I think if yeah. I was paying attention, doing my homework, <laughs> you have over 1,600 interviews done. Is that right? right? Well, yeah. Well, so pretty darn close to the 1,600 interviews because some of them were solo shows. Okay, so still. I'd probably say over about a thousand, over a thousand, maybe 1,100, 1,200 wow. um, interviews. That's, uh, I was talking to someone recently who has a podcast. It's, uh, you know, around career advice and they've been running it, you know, kind of as a, uh, a side hustle for the last five years and they have somewhere around 80 episodes and I'm just getting started now. Uh, and so I think this is probably <laughs> recording number six or seven. And uh, so when I hear a thousand interviews, 600 <laughs> podcasts, you have had to learn just from that alone. And that's what I'm doing this for. I'm really yeah. doing this to learn from the best in the game. Kind of like we were talking about, like I've, I've been on your show and we've talked, we know each other, um, but trying to build on that dialogue and, you know, what can I learn? But so, I mean, 1600 interviews, what have you learned? If there was one thing, one thing, it's a sales podcast, this is the thousand interviews you've done with, with thought leaders and people out there that are, you know, changing the world of sales. What's the number one most consistent thing you hear and that you'd share with my listeners? Master of fundamentals. Um, because if you go back in and you categorize all of the episodes, you go back in and you do, you know, you listen to it. People have different ways of doing stuff, but the most, the top performing sellers, they become creatures of habit mm. and they master that craft. When you go back to what we were discussing the dialogue and about it at the very beginning, sometimes you get comfortable and you start, you start, you, you start doing the certain things. Like say, for instance, maybe they're not uh, actively connecting with people on LinkedIn anymore. Perhaps you're not doing your phone calls, like you're building pipe, your, your outreach calls anymore. Maybe you you lack you, you slack off a little bit on really getting the deeper uh, information in the discos because you're like, I, I, I think I could do this. You know, you got lucky and closed some stuff in good times, right. but then now when it's getting a little bit leaner and you need to really ensure that there's like uh, meat on the bones before you can create an op and for it to progress, maybe you skip a step and not include someone. Maybe you don't do the follow-up um, emails anymore after you had that conversation with the prospect. Those things start to, to start. It, it, one one follow-up email is not going to, missing one follow-up email or recap email is not going to cause an impact. When you start missing all your follow-up emails, when you start missing out on those prospecting, when you start not going deeper in your discos, then you start having crumbling in your pipeline where deals are not as secure. But again, going back to the 1600 episode, if you were listening to everything that people would share, a lot of it weren't like futuristic, um, you know, esoteric type of thinking. It were like, this is how I did blocking and tackling. And those tend to be the funnest, the most exciting episodes. And this is what helped me to get where I'm at today. And the strategy, like even yesterday, I did a, a episode on what elite sellers, um, J.R. Butler talking about what some of the elite sellers are doing. Um, and it was like, it wasn't like, again, revolutionary, but it was the way that he has a system around mastering the fundamentals. Like, bro, you can't get past this. And you go all the way back to episode number six with Justin Sua, when it was the top performing habit, uh, top 10 habits of top performers. And it was like similar things. They have a schedule, they get up and you got to be disciplined. Um, but that's the biggest takeaway that I've seen, Derek, is master the fundamentals and to be disciplined. Love it. You mentioned you have a LinkedIn course. Yeah. Uh, yeah LinkedIn prospecting course. 
What can you tell us about that? And you know, what, what should people, what are, I mean, we all know the connect and pitch thing isn't working. So, <laughs> and I, I saw your post today, <laughs> just saying, uh, just because I connected with you and accepted your invite doesn't mean it's a green light to start pitching me. And I feel yeah. the same way, but I'm sure your course is more holistic than that. So what can you tell us about it without giving away the goodies? I'll give you the goodies. I give it all away. Um, the the strategy that I follow, and I stumbled on this, was connect, share, and engage. Um, what I mean by this is that LinkedIn. Um, I, so I'm a, a part of the content creator with LinkedIn, and I had a coach with LinkedIn. And I was able to connect with them, and he was coaching me. And I was like saying, um, he said, you know, uh, it was some stats saying like um, how many uh, the percentage of people who engage, who post on LinkedIn. LinkedIn tend to be the platform where people a lot of passerbys but they don't necessarily want to post, but it was 1%. And he said, this was a 2019. He's like, no, the actual number now is 2%. Um, and so think about the way from when the LinkedIn first started way back then to where it was in 2019 at December, 2019, 2% of LinkedIn users were posting content regularly on the platform. 2%. So 2% of people were getting billions of views and just to understand how social media work. So if let's say that there's a, I'm making this up, 10 billion views this week and 2% of people that 10 billion uh, views are going to those 2% of content producers, people that are posting stuff on LinkedIn. I don't want to give, you know, let a cat out of the bag. If everybody else don't want to take advantage of it, it's like, a, it's kind of like the wild, wild west um, with LinkedIn. So you, right now, so you could, you can get a lot of land um, if you're sharing relevant content. So I was like, holy crap. And then the other thing with that too, even one of our clients came through our course he was saying, man, I'm posting stuff, but I'm not getting people. When he did a basic audit and look at who was he on this platform, you know, if you're just filtering your your um, your um connections, he saw that maybe, I think it was like maybe 10, 20% of his connections were actually people who could be ideal customers. And I was okay. like, that's a problem right there. So what you want to do on a day-to-day -day basis, you want to send personalized connection requests, even if it's just five to 10 personalized connection requests to people who are going to be your ICP, that even if it's just an ICP, they ain't got to be all the triggers and all that stuff but yet, but just ICPs. I need people who potentially could buy from me to see the content that I'm going to share. So daily setting that up. So let's say I reach out to five people a day over the course of a week, 25 individuals, over the course of a month, 100 individual. I'm talking five days a week here. And let's say half of those people accept my connection requests. That's not pitching right there, guys. It's just building your base. So now I have uh, uh, 50 people that are VPs of sales that are connecting back with me and that are open to you know my. Are you content. putting any special note in there? Are you blind connecting? Are you reassuring them? I no, promise, there's no pitch to follow. Oh, I I do I joke with that sometimes, but I personalize. And one of the things that I teach, there is a I'll give you a quick example of this. I learned it on a webinar that I did with Sales Hacker, and I can't take credit for it. I think it was Mandy. I can't remember her last name now. Um, but the company that she was with, they're talking about how that one of their BDRs were focusing on doing a connection request based on location. So let's mm -hmm. say you're in uh, LA, right? Uh, Northern California. Northern, mm -hmm. So Northern California. Mm -hmm. What city exactly? Uh, Turlock. No one on here is probably <laughs> going to know it, but I'm two hours east of uh, San Francisco. So I might find something on Turlock. Maybe it's a couple restaurants in 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 Turlock, and I might say, "Hey, Derek, I never heard of Turlock before, but you know we're planning to go through the uh, go <laughs> to the redwoods." My attention. <laughs> you know, but you know, we're we're planning to go to the redwoods, which we really were, um, and don't know if quite that far. But if I get off the beaten path, any restaurant you recommend that I check out, or I, you know, is is uh, ABC um, Diner really worth the the you know the hype? And, you know, it starts conversation. But if you can find something based on location, another one is like Miami folks you might say, um, hey, um, out of curiosity, um, is there what's the best spot in Miami to get a Cuban coffee if I'm if I'm uh, if I'm if I have a long layover? You got to go to this spot. People love to talk about their place, but it's a unique personal connection. Right, right. And I was like, that's genius. So I did one with an Atlanta and I tr tested it out with this kid trying to get in touch with his boss. So I um, said to him, hey, Varsity Burger, um, is it uh is it really worth the hype? Um, and we did a, a PS permission to connect here on LinkedIn. He accepted my connection, my connection request, and that's where most people go pitch. But uh, he's not even a decision maker. But I said to him, uh, "So thoughts dot dot dot," and he was like, "Yeah, you can definitely go to varsity as long as you can go to the bathroom afterwards." <laughs> Just <laughs> keeping it real. <laughs> and then his boss later on responded to my message because I'm sure that circulated amongst their small sales team or had a conversation. Right. And then next thing you know, I got the appointment. The point is, it was a personalized, and you don't have to use and your creativity. I mean, that's the yeah. thing too. You're in creativity. And it, mm -hmm. 
It doesn't require a lot these days, but all you have to do is just maybe you could based on location, maybe something. Don't just don't just. I see you went to the University of Maryland. Like, give something maybe specific um, that you that they could relate to as a human being. Um, or as a default, I tell them, hey, I, I I use this one. I don't have a really cute message. I don't have a um, a, a, a cute. Uh, uh, connection request. I just saw that you're in my industry and look like somebody cool that I'd like to learn from. Promise not to pitch you. Permission to connect. I got one of those pitch. just yesterday. It was exactly yeah. that. You know, yeah. I promise there's no pitch to follow. It was somewhere in the message. Yeah. And it was, you know, it looks like we're in the same space. Thought we might connect. And look, that's what we're here to do. People are going to LinkedIn to learn for yeah. jobs and to network. Those are like the top three things that were that, that it's all designed around, right? And what people are really engage with there. So if you're immediately going to let me sell you something, then it's just, I mean, I hate to use the, you know, beat up example of walking to a bar and trying to holler at somebody and just immediately just saying, Hey, you want to, you want to go home with me or whatever, you know, it's just, just, (laughs) come on, you know, I'm a drink. (laughs) That analogy just works over and over because it's just gets people, it makes so much sense. Um, And, you know, here's the thing, what I've seen with it though, I'm willing to accept a, a pitch from salespeople if that pitch is good enough, but not necessarily, I don't want that in a, it's going to give me a major turnoff if it's going to be a LinkedIn, like, you know, connect and pitch. But let's say, for instance, I'm connected with you and then you sent me an email and you tie something back in of value. I just, some seems like email is just more appropriate. It's like, okay, pitch me there yeah. rather than on this. But if you say, you know, you know, say, hey, Donald, um, you know, Varsity Burger is going to, is on varsity burger. My subject line might say, um, n- not going to varsity dot, dot, dot. You're going to open that email. Like Derek, um, thank you. I appreciate the insight you gave on varsity. Now I want to give something back to you. <laughs> I, <laughs> right. Right. As a new sales leader, one of the things I know many folks are really concerned the hook. about. There's the, that's the hook they always talk about. Like, how are you going to hook it in? Exactly. Yeah. Because it's, it's so, yeah, you went to XYZ school. Great. Well, we have this new product that you should check out. Whoa, there's the <laughs> hook. Where's the tie-in, man? Yeah. <laughs> so, but, you know, that gives, a, that makes them have a, at least open to have the conversation with us. So the, the connect idea, again, connect with your ideal customer, build up your base of those people share, share relevant content. All you have to do, we teach people what kind of content they can share once a week. And I'm not talking about being an influencer. I'm just saying a human being, my BDRs do this and they get appointments. LinkedIn polls right now are an easy peasy way. But when I do a poll, I have like one of my polls now, 109 people actually connected uh, and voted on that poll. A lot of them are going to be people again, who are my ICPs or seeing my stuff and start conversation. You might vote it on one of them. Derek, man, it's been a minute. How you been? Um, Thanks for voting on the poll. Or the latest one that I had was somebody, an uh, example in my inbox right now, somebody was uh, as an ideal customer, they engaged on my post, and then I now I started a conversation. And the conversation message now to them is easy. It was like, hey, BJ, I saw that you engage on my recent post, um, you know, permission to connect here on LinkedIn. And then it was like, yeah, sure. And that started a conversation. We have a conversation thread going on now, BJ and I. But the point is, it's human. It's just having a conversation. So you connect with your ideal customer, you share relevant content, whether it's like poll or think about what are some of the challenges that VPs of sales are facing, the top 10 questions that they might have. Right now, if you were to think about that, and I know those, but I think about it from like your your industry, your ICP, what are the top 10 issues or top common questions they have? And write a post about that um, and share. And then now you follow up on those posts, you engage. It's, again, it's not that's not pitching, but you connect on those posts and you start conversation. Like, you know, if you did a nice comment on it or you're potentially a good fit, you're a second degree connection or third degree, but you engage on it. I'll say, you know, hey, Derek, it's Donald. Really appreciate your thoughtful insight there. Permission to connect here on, link, on my post. Permission to connect here on LinkedIn. And then I might say, Derek, out of curiosity, you mentioned that uh, you know your team you don't do any type of cold outreach. What do you guys do? Out of start the conversation. Right. Derek is doing something, and we start chatting. Blah 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 blah. Um, what would you say the biggest challenge your team's facing right now when it comes to like growing? You know, when it comes to even if they're not necessarily doing a lot of cold outreach, what is what do you guys when it comes to getting a lot of inbound? Well, they're not following up on time. Okay. Uh, well, if you're, you know, you know, unsolicited advice, um, I might send an audio message at that point. Here, if you are open to it, here's a tip that I've seen that's worked for my team and some of the people that I coach. And I'd, there's an episode you can check out as well. And you'll say, cool. If you're open to it, I can jump on a five to seven minute call one of you these one of you these days. Oh, and share mm-hmm. more. Yeah, I'm open to that. Book a five to seven minute call. I give the tips, and then Donald, tell me a little bit more what you do about the program. 
oh well creating curiosity that's all it is and then i tell them about it and like okay well you know we are we have hiring some bdrs we need to get them up on going you know let's put something together and see if we can get um you know what they might do in the next cohort awesome and that's now you got the the pitch and we teach people how to use navigator as well you can go and get navigator the videos that navigator have which is awesome we go in a little bit deeper and talk about some strategies specifically with how to utilize navigator to help in your um in your sales effort because many people have it and don't take advantage of it is but that the engage layer for you uh sorry, is, yeah. is the navigator piece it's a little bit it's the some of the free stuff on linkedin for, sorry free co- capabilities like right. engaging with people on your post um, engaging with people based on, on posts, triggers. If they have any. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, taking advantage of like, uh, you know, industry uh, and industry events or some of the, the your industry posts, taking advantage of people who follow your organization, engaging with human beings because most people just don't do that. And then here's the other one too, a secret one. Let's look at my connection right now. I have 15,000 people, 14,000 people that are following me on LinkedIn. You got to, there's got to be at least 10 people in there probably want to do some kind of business this year, but I don't have conversations with them all of the time, but that's the strategy we teach is that you need to connect with those base rather than just your post, send a connection request. It might say, Hey, Derek, it's been a minute since we connected. Um, Just saw your, you know, your company did blah, blah, blah. Just want to jump by and say, hi, if there's a promotion, instead of you sending out congrats on a promotion might say, this is what I do. So you guys can steal this, by the way. I say something to the nature of Derek saw that you got the new ro- uh, little birdie. I always use that one. Little birdie mentioned that you got a new, um, you got a new role. Com- um, you just got a new promotion. Congratulations on that. What's the first order of business? And then you might say, you know, ah, man, and I'm looking at sales tech. Thank Donald. Next thing I'm looking at is some sales tech stack. I'm looking at this thing. And especially if you're a VP of sales, because I build up my network of those people who could be my ideal customer. Hint, hint conversation starter man come on man this is money in the bank or if it's a birthday i you may get a song from me might say happy birthday derek (laughs) i'm driving on a car and i'm like you know i know i can't sing derek but i just want to say happy birthday man hope you're doing all right bro um have a good one enjoy it for me but then it's like it's just these little things so then now when you do get and then here's my this this is a, a this works it works all of you try it and then send me a connection request um and tell me it and tell me about it do this. People you're connected to, like for me, I've been pouring into my audience and community for however long now. What I do, and I know some of you are going to get this email from the message from me, I just send a message to a list of people in my network, and I say something to the nature of like this. Maybe it's like 10 or 20 of them at a time. Um, Derek, permission to ask a question. They're like, oh, it's Donald freaking Kelly. Man, shares all kinds of good stuff. Hey, yeah, what's up, Donald? And then I give my pitch there. But these are people that I'm connected to because you have connections and people are willing to do so. Might say, Derek, I noticed you guys are growing. The team's expanding. Obviously things are, you know, you you probably don't have time to take care of this, but I'm not sure if you're familiar with our business development program that teach BDRs how they can get up and running. Um, Is that something you would be open to learning more about? Hmm. Um, Yeah, it's a cohort-based program. Yeah, let's set up a time, Donald. It's non-threatening at that point because I've given so much. And think about how many connections that you all have, but people don't do that. So we teach people how to maximize LinkedIn in that sense. No pitching. No pitching there like, you know, connect and pitch. It's connect, share, uh, engage, uh, connect, share relevant content, and engage with people. Love it. And and, and again, to clarify, LinkedIn is not a shortcut. It's more of a long no. game. Right. So yeah, we got to make that clear for people. And that's why connecting pitching doesn't work. Do you have time for one more topic? One more question, bro. Let's go. I'm here all day. (laughs) Well, We're we're launching this podcast in February. We're both two black men in America and it's uh, black history month next month. We're recording now in January. We're launching next month in February, just for uh, clarity for the listeners here. Uh, I want to get your take on diversity in sales. Why is diversity in sales so important? And Particularly, can you layer in going back to your journey, what it's like to be a thought leader in sales? Because there's even mm. fewer uh, of us. Yeah. Um, so diversity in sales. I mean, the studies that's proven this over and over again that the teams that are more that are diverse have greater uh, have seen a greater increase. Um, and I mean, just logically, it makes sense, right? Right. Um, and so diversity. What I mean by this too, a little bit deeper. 
um, diversity in race for sure, diversity right. in genders for sure, diversity in like uh, in in background, education, in, in education. Yeah, somebody mm-hmm. from like you know who who's from like say from the south compared to somebody who's from like Milwaukee, it's going to be totally different walks of life. But those people can engage if everybody on your team looks the same, and you're going to reach out to a bunch of uh, you're reaching out to some folks who are you know some brothers. It's like you know I don't know, but if I have people on my team that are more diverse and maybe that I feel I can relate to, that does help. If you're recruiting from one school, that's kind of stink. But if you're recruiting people without um, a formal education, as well as people with formal education, they have some life skills there. Because the hustle that they're doing in the in, in their sales roles or in the jobs that weren't necessarily sales role, they can bring a lot to the table on that. So the diversity of thought and ideas is critical. But it's specifically when it comes towards the opportunity for um for wealth creation sales is one of those areas that you don't necessarily need and cybersecurity is another great part too and mm. cybersecurity sales is even that much greater <laughs> but um but if you and I, if i could go back that's where i'd go right now derek if i was to pick a gig <laughs> by the way cybersecurity cyber got uh, it. Yeah. cybersecurity sales um but um the point though is that their sales have this capability to help individuals without a lot of uh, um a lot of experience, years of experience, like a doctor or something like that, to be able to enter in a short period of time, generate a decent income, um, and to be able to help create generational wealth. Um, and it's such a powerful avenue. And sometimes people don't, uh, you know, people of color, I'm just going to say straight up, like black folks that I know don't necessarily think so or know about that because they're used to the game of like sales being like the insurance agent or the Avon person, which is nothing wrong with that. But there's ways that there's a lot of opportunities and we need to give that opportunities to people that could help them. And also that definitely going to help your organization. So you got to have that diversity involved in your company. It's going to help you to, you're going to, it's the right thing. And you're going to help to make more um, more money um, as well. And I feel as well for just for you and I, I want more people look like us to be able to be in sales just for that, for that purpose, to let them know that what the grass over here is good. It's not that it's always greener. Right, You're going to have right. your struggles, but there's an opportunity here in professional selling in tech sales and in, in, in B2B selling that Period. you can take mm-hmm. advantage of that may, that you didn't quite necessarily know um, about. Um, and I don't know if I, if I keep going on that, that ride, but that on a, on a topic, but that's, I'm, I'm passionate for it. And I'll give you the one last story. So my little brother, um, he came and work with me. He came to work with me and um, he did, uh, he, he and my, one of my friends and we were, we were doing um uh, a sales meetup when I was, you know, before I started building TSC and to have a, like my own location and for a hired people. And then um, we were, I was just thinking, man, I go to all these companies and all the trainings I give, I don't have people that look like me though. So I'm like, do you guys want to do some work with me? And we did start off and did some commission stuff before I could, you know, really start paying. And then next thing you know, they started to, you know, we, we just started to continue and improve and the company started to get do better and I hired them. Um, and it was cool because now they got a skill. If I can just part one skill to them that I have, that I'm giving to people who are paying hundreds of thousands of dollars for the stuff that we have to teach and pa- pa- part this onto my family and friends, I felt really good. And now that we were able to do that and they were able to get into communities and places that they weren't able to do before. So the whole team, the whole family came right, came along for that ride, so to speak. And you got to look out for that. And it just was uh, super excited for that. And um, it was a little proud moment that I was able to do that um, to help my family, to give them something that I have the skills so that they can utilize in, in for their life. So anyways. No, I love it, man. I love your points about the neurodiversity that having diverse staff helps with, right? The difference mm-hmm. in ideas and thought processes, though, you know, coming from different walks of life, uh, you, you you get to blend all that together. And I think yeah. what we think about when we think about strong culture is that, you know, a culture is really the culmination of all of our individual personalities and work ethics and backgrounds coming together in some level of harmony. And I think yeah. you get more diverse in that respect, more you can feather that out the stronger your culture, I think it sounds like you're saying uh, would play in. Then and connect with me, Donald C. Kelly. Um, you can find me on all platforms, by the way, that uh, Donald C. Kelly. 
um, bonus tip. Um, you can do this with me and do this with other people. But if there's somebody you really want to follow in their crowd, if there's a, a, a big line at the front of the restaurant, try to find a different way in the restaurant. And another way in to get close connection with me is through Instagram, because I don't didn't really push marketing that side too much. So we have like 4,000 followers. So my inbox is not as crowded as LinkedIn. So just a hint on that. There you go. If you're trying um, to get, so. uh, get into <laughs> adult, you got to find the, the omni-channel <laughs> approach, man. It's not just about LinkedIn. You do it. Twitter, uh, Twitter, Instagram. I mean, I know we go back on Instagram. We go way back Easy. on Instagram. Yeah. Uh, and that's actually where I got the data point on the anniversary is, you know, looking yeah. through your page and figuring <laughs> out when seeing that anniversary. But anyways, my um, best of the family, uh, your wife you. and son. Uh, you're doing great things for us and uh, for the culture as well. We appreciate you. You've been listening to the Sales Consultant Podcast. If you enjoyed the interview and would like to support the show, please be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and or on Spotify. Please also consider following our LinkedIn page. If you're an industry expert or if you know an industry expert that should be on the show, message us on LinkedIn at the Sales Consultant Podcast.